0: Welcome to Amplify, a podcast by Six Degrees, sharing stories in cloud, cyber, and diversity.
1: Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Amplify podcast, brought to you by Six Degrees and our partners. I'm Richard Starnes, Chief Security Strategist at Six Degrees. Last week, I was joined by Frederick Corso, Intelligent Cloud AI, Global Business Solutions Manager at Microsoft, and James Donovan, Cloud Director at Six Degrees for an excellent chat on AI that was far too broad and interesting a topic to fit into one episode. So we're back this week to continue the discussion. Let's dive in for part two. So from a cybersecurity standpoint, I wanted to go back to uh, employee awareness and training for a moment. We talked about the um, issue of uh, folks using company proprietary data and feeding it into a public engine. What do you think are some things that companies can do to help protect themselves from on the human side, James?
0: Well, I think I'll think i answer probably with human and, a, and a, maybe a teeny tiny sprinkling of technology. I think from the human side, as people that work in the tech industry, it's, it's very easy for us to understand that something that we put into these tools, what happens to it and what the risks are. But I think that, that if you look at the workforce, it's not going to be prevalent in absolutely, uh, absolutely everyone. Like um, I was speaking to a, a friend of mine who's in the, the personal training industry over the weekend. And we were talking about generative AI and how it could help his small business grow right so this is enterprise but small business he said well you know i want to work on nutrition plans with my customers so i input all of their details into this engine i put their height weight where they live and i i will generate nutrition plans and calorific menus and all this this lovely stuff and it will brand it up for me and then i kind of stopped i stopped him and said well you know have you told your clients that that's what you're doing? And he said, "No, why would I? It's it's I, I'm generating it for me." And I think there is a common misconception amongst other user bases that aren't so tech focused, and probably probably the fitness industry might be a good a good one there. Is that there is a lack of understanding around the stuff that we see as just everyone knows it. So I think I think you can tackle that. I think there's two ways, right? The the people side, it, it's going to be education. That's the only real solve to it. I suppose you probably remember uh, is that you know the days of social engineering and phishing where you know the the success rate of things like that was much much higher than it than it was today and I think it's only through good corporate training through governance and through awareness that that's actually come to a point now where it's not solved but it's certainly better than it was so I think there's an element of that I then think as well it's from a tool set perspective and and, you know I'm not going to name the particular tool sets but I think there are tool sets that employers or, or organizations can deploy that will allow them to control where their data is pasted, where it's used, where it's not used, what is the corporate realm, and what is the not-so-corporate realm. So I think that, for me, there is a education first and foremost. There are a number of, of safeguards that, that should almost be used as a, as a secondary, as not to, to prohibit. And then I think as well the third part is, is actually educating the end user about this, and I think that that's a community-led engagement, not you know an organisation. Is that consumers and end users are going to start asking these questions? What are you doing with my data? And you have to be able to answer that accurately. And so I think that as we see an awareness of it coming to our end user base and our consumer base, I think they will actually start to become more intelligent and ask those questions about what do you do? And I think that that will increase the overall knowledge of what is like like in the phishing example end users and on a personal level have got a lot more smart of detecting phishing on their personal emails, right? I think we'll get to a point where end users will become a lot smarter about where their data and what organisations or what service providers are doing with it. I think they'll become more intelligent and they'll start asking those questions. So I think um, I think it probably largely answers your question it probably doesn't. But I think raising knowledge will increase, A, intelligence, and I think that will help drive some accountability about what organisations do with it.
2: Oh, so so a f- few things there there is the individual and data privacy I think is there's a long way still to go and and you might have been aware I mean Microsoft has been campaigning for data to become a human right and I think there there, there there's a, a lot of value in that but it's still a abstract for so many people that it's hard to understand why you want to do that and and, and we have many proof of business models of you know using other people's data for for what you want to create
1: yes there's an old saying if you're getting a product or a service without paying for it yeah. then you are
2: the product or service correct <laughs> or correct. your data is and that will evolve and that will evolve with what you were mentioning about the knowledge, yeah. about you know people's education, etc. So, and I love the example of the, <laughs> of the personal trainer that you know the intentions are very good, yeah. the steps are not so much. Uh, so, it needs to be careful. But so, so that's what made me think about you know data being a, a human right. But there is also uh, obviously the the enterprise side of things, and I think the proper labeling of data is also really important. So whoever within the organization access that data, so they know if it's confidential, if it's for general use, etc. So again, back a little bit to that transparency bit, I think that will really help for people to understand what can I do with this? And technology needs to improve as well. So to make that labeling easier, to make that labeling maybe more obvious, to allow that governance cataloging and access control of that. And it's always that fine balance between the security aspect and the, I need to free up my data to more of my people because that's how innovation will happen. That's how decisions will be and the right decisions will be made. If you want to be a data-driven organization then you have to walk that fine line between security and access to that data and to have the right data to the right place then technology needs to get better at that to make it easier for people to understand you know i can't export that and do something on my own or if i do then you still need to provide that visibility in what's happening to that confidential data. I think
0: it's even, we've all got probably corporate mobiles and we've tried to maybe copy and paste something and we get that. we get. It's almost like that prompting, but the other way around, right? Because you get a text message that says, your organization's data can't be pasted here. Yes. Like I say, tool set needs to, needs to be better. Yes. You, know, you could end up with a situation where the end user's receiving a prompt. This type of data can't be used here this is why, or please Correct. see a link here. And then it's Correct. about, otherwise, users will just keep trying to circumvent it.
1: You both are the perfect guests because you keep it segueing in right next to my next question. It's not so planned, so it's, right? fin- <laughs> it's not planned, so that's yeah. just, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. So uh, both of your responses, my question now is, when people see tools like these, they want them, and they want to utilize them, and they're not terribly particular about how they go about doing that. Hmm. So what aspects do you think there are uh, with shadow IT and AI and how to prevent that or at least curtail that and control that, where we can utilize the very substantial benefits to it without realizing the, the downsides from uncontrolled use and access? I'll start with... James? (laughs)
0: Yeah, I think it's Shadow IT is probably a perfect segue to to maybe some of the tools that we've talked about so far. I'm a, a huge believer, not in Shadow IT, but if your user base are crying out for something and you don't give them access to it, they will find a way to use it, right? So if if you say your organization's data can't be pasted here, you then end up in a situation where they've forwarded it to their personal email outside of your corporate realm, and now they're then taking it on their personal laptop and doing what they originally wanted to do, but in a realm that's not in your control. I think that it's a really interesting one. I quite like shadow IT. I uh, know you probably don't like I I saw, I saw <laughs> your I quite like shadow IT in terms of If we listen and understand and discover where shadow IT is happening, we start to learn more about where our user base mainly are experiencing pains and challenges. We can then use that to then remediate that through then providing access to a tool set or similar, but that's in a governed or, or controlled way. So I think I've lost the question there, Richard. What was the answer? What was the the answer? (laughs) What was the answer? Please give me the answer. What was the the question again? Because I heard Shadow IT and just went off on a complete firework.
1: Uh, Well, no, it was simply, uh, uh, how do we uh, control AI or access to AI to it being access to the productivity aspect of it, but where they don't want to bring about Shadow IT?
0: Okay. I think largely then I probably answered it. I think it's... It's about discovering where that exists and what your user base are crying out for and what they're using it for. But then, like you said earlier on, actually, Frederick, and I was going to going to respond to it, but I didn't because I knew it would probably come up later, is a lot of the tools that I've certainly seen customers use and discovered through Shadow IT, there is an enterprise version available. And an enterprise version, we always kind of think that's going to be cut down or it's going to be expensive, but it's not, it's not always the case. What I kind of say to customers is enterprise tooling gives you control and it gives you it gives you a greater visibility into what's being used. It doesn't necessarily limit feature set. So, like you say, people using generative AI tools, if they're well, they are available on, on the Azure marketplace, then make it available and make clear that actually if you want to use generative AI tools, well, I'm not gonna try not to name it but then naming it, but you know what? don't use the publicly available one. Here's one provided by the organization. And then that is that you're not stopping the user doing something. You're not getting that circumvention pattern, but you're still giving users the the productivity that they expect from those those tools. But that's where companies need to be quick. From a cybersecurity
1: management standpoint and uh, as a CISO, my response to uh, one of your, it was dangerously close to a jibe, I thought, uh, (laughs) about cybersecurity in this instance is... Our job is not, nor has it ever been, to say no. Yeah. Our job is to figure out how to
2: say yes. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I love that. I love that. In the you know deep philosophical aspect that you just pointed out, I'll, I'll add a little sprinkle of mine <laughs> on this. And really, what you're trying to achieve, ultimately, to avoid that shadow IT element, is to have discipline at the center, and flexibility at the edge. And that's for data, that's for tooling, that's for everything. So as long as you have confidence and the control of the data or the large language model or, or, or whatever it is, but you provide that flexibility for those business units, for those end users, because they're all the subject matter expert of the job that they do, then that's how you're going to avoid the shadow IT. And we need the right tooling to be able to do that. And you're, you're right when you were mentioning, you know, often people go, oh, but there's an enterprise version. And it's exactly to have that discipline at the core. And discipline doesn't necessarily mean the no, yes? That doesn't necessarily mean everything is blocked. Yeah. It's... It's controlled, it's monitored, it's labeled, it's categorized in the right way. But you can go and use it in whatever makes sense for your job. And that's what flexibility is meant to be.
0: I had this, not an argument on generative AI, and probably not an argument, it's probably the wrong word to use. But I remember when, well, God, when was it? Five years ago when Microsoft Teams was coming out, right? And the the number one question we got from customers was, how can I make it so that only IT can create teams? And, and, you know, and that's where you think, hang on. You, you you're miss, missing the point you're, miss, yes, <laughs> yes, here, right? you're missing the whole flexibility, productivity that comes with it. And that's, what I mean, right. it, like you say, finding reasons to say yes, but making sure it's done in a, in a controlled way.
1: Right. So let's move on to, we've talked a lot about uh, the, so, uh, various aspects of it, but uh, here's the how part. How do we go about setting up an AI strategy for business? And I thought your example of uh, the gym was quite a good one. And I I think in some instances, AI would be uh, quite good for that, particularly uh, maybe helping small businesses, micro-businesses usually defined as zero to nine employees, which is, by the way, the largest business segment in the UK and in most countries, with things like setting that up and with the AI engine coming up and saying, yes, you want to do this, but there are certain aspects of GDPR that you need to notify your customers about, as an example. So how would we set up a business strategy for a company?
0: just just made me think of something Then I was, I was trying to get a... I'm awful at mowing my lawns. I absolutely hate <laughs> mowing the lawn. And uh, I was trying to get a gardener to just come and mow my lawn. And it, in North Wales, that seems to be ridiculously hard. But whenever you call that business, that micro-business, and say, I'd like to come and mow my lawn, what are they doing? They're mowing lawns. So what are they not doing? They're not answering their phone. They're not booking that appointment. They're not capturing that new customer. So, And the reason why I mentioned that story is I think even if you're a three-person organisation listening to this or you're a 3,000 person or a 30,000, I think AI will play a part in your business going forward, period. I don't think there's any any getting away from it. But for me, I think it go back to the fundamentals of setting a business strategy. Don't link it directly te- to technology. Link it to outcome. Think about what, what you're trying to do, what will make you different. Ask yourselves those five whys, those challenging questions. Um So for me, it's going back to the basics of building that strategy in the first place. But I think what customers miss often is, okay, we've defined the outcome. What are the measures to get there? And how will we know that we're achieving it? And I think that's what we miss because we don't understand AI. We just think, conceptually, we're going to go to AI. We're going to do this great top line strategy line, but... I'm seeing customers still miss the, the fundamentals of how we're going to measure that we've got there, what will prove that we get there, and what will the impact be when we get there. And I think that's because AI seems complicated, right? Or it seems future thinking, forward-looking, strategy building isn't, right? And I think that you can still apply that same strategy-type building that you've done or already done or about to do to an AI model. You've just got to be really clear about what outcome you're trying to get, what are you going to deliver? How are you going to measure it? How will you know it's done? So what I'm going to ask of each of you is this. Frederick, yeah.
1: give me three use cases for AI. Well, Okay. And try to keep
2: it under two hours. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't know we had that long. So there are some, and hey, I'll start stating some things that have been on the news. In healthcare, in the NHS, for example, in terms of analyzing diagrams and identifying where that particular, you know, cancer cell is and defining exactly where the surgery needs to happen. That is now in place and is actually massively improving the rate of success of the surgery, but also... Reducing the time in which consultants have had to spend and draw, you know, on the image is this is exactly where it is. So there's a big, big improvement there. And there, I'm shifting to customer experience in massive call centers, where you will have that experience from a, an IVR or voice. Bots that you might get, but it's not resolving your issue, and you need to get transferred to somebody else. And there's nothing more irritating for me personally to then repeat all my details and the conversation that I've had with the bot. Just to have that summarized and not the whole transcript. You might store that somewhere else, but have that summarized, then that again makes the experience a lot easier, and AI can easily do that from a generative AI as well perspective. And then the last bit that I will mention is around the the work that Microsoft is doing on copilots. You know, I need to mention it. It's in the tools that people use every day and having that help then will take away the I, I don't know what it is and I don't know what it can do kind of Initial fear, and really looking at building more of the trust, and that will help people evolve in terms of what they need to do. And and on that, you know, aspect of the strategy, I think for me will also influence the culture in an organization. And it's been often cited, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast. But I think I think you know AI will will have an impact on organizations cultures and and if that 's not strong or continually watered and looked after, then issue might appear and affect the the overall strategy. but I think uh, yeah, AI will have many implications I think i 'm under two hours.
1: I want to go back to uh, your uh, discussion about the the medical side. Yeah. And I'm stealing this straight from Brad Smith. I can't tell he he made quite an impression on me. (laughs) The diabetic retinopathy, there are 400 million people in the world that suffer from this and 200,000 ophthalmologists. Not a good ratio. Mm -hmm. And uh, computers are very, very good at uh, uh, discretion on images. And being able to pick things out, and this AI in this particular area will be absolutely key in saving the, the the eyesight of millions of people, particularly in countries that are economically disadvantaged. So I'm I'm really excited about that.
2: Yeah, I think I think it's a, it's an example that similar to you. It just that ratio is never going to be able to cover everyone. And I think it's related a little bit back to a point that we made earlier in terms of there's going to be less people that we need to do more, yes? And and that's where we need some of that technology to help us to actually do that, but in a defined outcome. And that's what you were mentioning earlier.
0: For me, I always say, I think we're at the merging. I know we've spoken about this before. We're at the merging of two really key technologies, and I think it's AI and exponential compute put those two together there's no such thing as three use cases there's about a million because i think we will get to the point where problems that we've earmarked as unsolvable or that needs optimization problems right that have lots of variable outcomes and lots of different lots of different variables and parameters that engage with them will very quickly become something that we can start to so you know the diabetic retinopathy really good example i think when we get the merging of those two, those two streams together, what's next? Quantum. Exactly.
1: <laughs> that was one of the uh, subject areas that I've uh, started taking interest in doing uh, some research in, is what effect quantum computing will have on AI. Yeah. I suspect uh, significant. Yeah. The uh, other AI uh, inter- area of interest for me is, uh, is education. Yes, I mean, we've talked about this quite a bit, and we've all been using it as educational benefits just in a small way. Uh, When that starts getting put into educational areas, I think it'll be quite good. And when you have small-cost laptops and the availability of Wi-Fi in countries where the educational uh, infrastructure might not be as good as one would hope, you have the access to that as well for the students, and I think that will be game changing.
2: And we've seen many examples of that in the change in tutoring, yeah. where it's not again replacing the tutor itself, but really helping the child and the student when it's not in a face-to-face environment to actually carry on the education with the with the right tooling. And that you're right, is very exciting. And that
1: falls right back into the issue we were discussing earlier of user interface and user experience. Right. So these all feed into one another. So, and this is kind of, a I I guess, a really easy segue, and we may have covered it to a certain extent <laughs> already, but um, what are the most exciting things about AI,
0: James? I think I've already mentioned mine, right? <laughs> it's the merging for me. The most exciting thing is, is we're now talking about AI a lot more than we used to, which is fantastic, because it means we're going to get knowledge, understanding, and we're going to start to apply some of those principles. I think the most exciting thing for me about AI is, I think, when we get to the point where quantum is readily available and consumable, and we have a similar level of understanding with that technology, I think that's that's what excites me the most, because I think they're almost like the perfect couple. You put them together... And I think then you start talking about endless possibilities rather than, you know, really largely what we talk about now around task automation.
2: And we were mentioning about, or I referred to uh, English as the hottest development language. I think that's just as fundamental as that. Language has helped civilization to pass on knowledge. And Brad was mentioning in some of his talks about, you know, when the printing press, you know, started and what what that, had an impact in terms of growth in GDP, but help in the innovation of many, many more things. And I think we are here, again, back to, we've spent too much time working around technology, where technology needs to work around us. And the natural language is the best way that humans have been perfecting for quite a few years. And and I think that is that really big shift because then you're not relying on specialists on a particular skill. You use language, which is the most universal way to actually get for the technology to do what you want it to do. And and that for me, fundamentally, that's what I'm the most excited about.
1: Well, one of the things that uh, we've talked about uh, a lot of the different exciting things uh, already. But uh, one of the things that, and going back to, to co-pilot, is the, uh, the, your intelligent or your, your virtual assistant. When I was growing up and starting into the, the business world, one of the ways that you determine whether or not you had made it or not was whether or not you had your own personal assistant. And, uh, <laughs> and now we're to the day is where everyone has their own personal assistant. One final thing that I, I, I want to wrap up on in that area I have decided that I I may start my own uh, personal campaign aimed at at Microsoft and Brad Smith. What I want to see is uh, the mascot for Copilot, you need to
2: bring Clippy back. I I, I knew this was going to come up. Maybe that's why I've furiously been destroying (laughs) a paperclip during our chat today. Well, it already has a brand. It already has you know, expectations and connotations. So maybe it was safer to call it co-pilot rather than Clippy 2. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: thank you, gentlemen, both so much. Thank you. Um, really appreciate uh, you showing up and, uh, and and knocking it out of the park, as you both have. Thank you for listening. I hope you found today's podcast useful and can take some of these insights away for helpful information on your approach to artificial intelligence. Do reach out to us at Six Degrees if you need any support on this. We look forward to you joining us next time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Amplify. Stories in cloud, cyber and diversity. Brought to you by Six Degrees, a secure integrated cloud services provider. For more information about Six Degrees, visit 6dg.co.uk or find us on LinkedIn by searching for Six Degrees. See you next time.